Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, the new Google Podcasts app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. And a special welcome, by the way, to the newest subscribers from the Overcast app on iOS. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Northern California, my guest is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, plus he is the president and CEO of Boulder Creek Musical Instruments. The company does guitars, basses, and ukuleles and has a very impressive artist roster. He performs regularly and this year earned Best Band Honors in the Gilroy Dispatch's 2018 Best Of. They also had the distinction of being called by Ingrid Croce, to play a Jim Croce celebration of life for a dear friend of hers and Jim's that had passed away. He has years of experience performing as a solo act in a duo or band, as well as as a headliner and an opener, in the case of the latter having done so for the likes of Pablo Cruz, among others. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Jeff Stramitz. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Jeff, good morning. Yeah, thanks for doing this at, at what is a fairly early hour out there in California. <laughs> well, it's early for some people, but if you live in the Bay Area, California, um, you got to get up at 4 a.m. if you want to get to work by 8. So, Yikes. Um, it, you know, it's like that in most big metropolis areas. We're still uh, in what I would call an agricultural area because we're south of the San Jose area by about 30 miles in Gilroy, which is the garlic capital of the world. Wow. Little known fact. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Just like not too far from me is Plant City, Florida, which is the strawberry capital of the world. Or I, or I think it might be the winter strawberry capital of the world. <laughs> well, great. Yeah. I know. I, everybody knows when they come through Gilroy, they go, I can smell it. So, <laughs> either you love garlic or you hate it. But, uh... <laughs> the, uh, the vampires don't go through there. Um, don't it? see too many of those. No. <laughs> Well, from the category of let's get down to business, I want to talk about both Jeff Stramitz, the business owner, and of course, Jeff Stramitz, the performer today. In the case of the business, I thought it would be good for those listeners who are up and coming singers, songwriters, recording artists, musicians, to hear from someone who could speak from the company side of getting approached by individuals just like them who are asking for endorsements or sponsorships. Let's kind of go through some of the different layers here. For starters, not to scare away some of the up-and-comers, but you've got big, big names on the Boulder Creek artist roster from Lee Bryce to Sarah McLaughlin to players from Fleetwood Mac, Three Doors Down, the list goes on. I wonder, how do you get those big names? You know, I, I would think in that case, it, it, is, it, is it first a matter of you convincing them that they should be playing instruments from Boulder Creek? You know, that's that's a great question. And this is going to be almost a twofold answer. And for the listeners out there, um, there's a very key ingredient as I describe how this has taken place. Because having the perspective that I have coming to the company, um, the company was developed and built in a partnership with myself and one of my guitar students that I was teaching. Hmm. And I want to, you know, say that, you know, he was a visionary kind of a guy, but he was also an ADD candidate where he would never concentrate, practice or focus on his instrument, but he loved to talk. And he used to joke around about starting a guitar company. And I said, hey, if that ever happens, you know, <laughs> give me a call. I've got a lot of experience in, in performing and, and that type of thing and sales and business development. I'd be glad to help you. One thing led to another. And here we are. We'll get into that a little bit later, but mm -hmm. when it comes to the artist directly in your question, you might be surprised to know that all of the artists that have come to Boulder Creek were never pursued by me. Wow. Not, not in the slightest way. They came to Boulder Creek, and here's the key point I want to make to artists listening today, is, is they came and they got my number and called me because they wanted to sound the best they could on stage 
doing their craft. And they came across a Boulder Creek somewhere in their travels, whether it was in a music recording studio, on tour, um, through conversations with their friends on tour. And, you know, they'd go out and they'd hear this incredible guitar and go, what is that? First Mm. of all, it looks strange. I've never seen anything like it, but I've never heard anything like it either. How do, how do I find out more about this? And then I would get a phone call and, and, and then a referral and then my phone would ring. You know, as a, as a specific example, Fleetwood Mac. Everybody knows and loves Fleetwood Mac. My phone rang one day and the number was not in my cell phone. And um, it was the guitar tech for Fleetwood Mac. And he goes, we just got done at a studio doing some recordings with Johnny Garcia and Johnny Garcia is the lead guitar player for Garth Brooks. Yeah, who, who, by the way, listeners, Johnny was on episode twenty-four of this show way back when, and that's a, that's a that's one of the more popular episodes of this show. So if you never heard it, uh, go back and listen to episode twenty-four. But go ahead, Jeff, continue. Yeah, Johnny's an incredible guy, and he loves Boulder Creek, and he has him in his studio. So Fleetwood Mac went in to do some work, came across the guitars, and then I got a phone call. And uh, the phone call was, you know, an introduction and it says, this is so-and-so from Fleetwood Mac. And we just got done using your guitars in a studio session that we were doing with Johnny. And we'd like to know if uh, we actually, we would like to try the guitars in some rehearsal sessions and consider using them on tour. Wow. So I loaded, I loaded up my truck, went down to LA to the uh, Sony Motion Picture Studios where they had a full stage set up, full I mean, full, full stage setup. Nothing in the room but the huge stage speakers, lights, and one couch. And uh, we went down there. They put all the guitars in and got them all set up and ready to go and ran them through the, the paces, and they've been using them ever since. Mm. And so that is, a, is an example of how they came to me. Everyone else, same thing. You know, the Brian Wilson band, uh, you know, Bob Lizick, the bassist was looking for an acoustic bass that that would um, sound like a stand-up bass and be easy to travel with and had good tone and had a B-string that was more than just a suggestion. And I uh, came across our, our basses. I took some basses up to um, Neil Young's bridge concert at Shoreline Amphitheater. Took three or four basses up there because it's an all-acoustic show and it's a fundraiser for handicapped children. And um, the, oh, there were several artists up there that were looking for something other than a stand-up bass to use during the show. And, and again, you know, the, the, our artist list expanded significantly after that. So if you're looking to, as an instrumentalist or a performer, to, to get an endorsement, one of the things that I see from my perspective, both as a performer and as a business owner, is, is that sometimes people who are performing tend to overlook their sound. They have incredible talent. Hmm. They have incredible songwriting skills. They have incredible stage presence, but they overlook their instrument. And And I'm not going to name any instruments in particular, but I've seen guys that go out there, and if you all go back in time a little bit and remember the group Three Doors, not Three Doors Down, they're great, but I'm going back further to Three Dog Night. Mm-hmm. Um, the lead singer for Three Dog Night, what a vocal monster that guy was. You know, there was a guy I saw one time in Nashville. Incredible, man. I wanted to come out of my chair. <laughs> the guitar he was using was one of the most popular names in acoustic guitars. It's been around for over 100 years, and he was beating the living tar out of that instrument <laughs> to get it to go where he was trying to go vocally. Uh. He, he would go there vocally, and you'd want, I mean, all the hair on your body would stand straight up, and this instrument started to break up, and it started to sound brittle, and mm. the tone was disappearing, and there was no warmth, and it just, I, I wanted to cringe. And you know, it's you have to be careful as a musician to not get what I call, um, you know, I, I jokingly call it Jordash syndrome, but it could be any name brand syndrome. Um, one of the key things that someone did with me, and this is before Boulder Creek started, this is back when I was playing, uh, you know, I was raising a family, uh, I was gigging. Uh, I didn't have extra money. I'm trying to buy a house. Young, you know, young family, young uh, husband and father. You can't go out and spend two or three or four thousand dollars on a guitar to sound the way you would want it to sound when you're sure. performing. Sure. So I walked into my local shop 
um, which uh, was here in Gilroy, and the guy sold all all kinds of guitars, but a lot of high-end guitars. And I said, you know, I set myself a personal goal. I've hit that goal. I'm coming in. I want to spend $1,000 on a guitar, and this is what I want it to sound like. And he just looked at me, and he goes, um, you're not going to get there for that. And mm. I said $1,000, which to me at the time, and you're going back, we're going back 25 years now probably. Wow. And And I go, you know, I go, wow. And he goes, you're not going to get there for that. He goes, but what, let's do this. He goes, let's just go in this room. He goes, I'm going to pick some guitars that I think have the sound you're looking for. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to play them. And he goes, I want you to listen to the guitar. I want you to feel the guitar. I want you to go through some of your repertoire where you feel like the guitar is a a major component of what it is you're trying to create Uh. musically. And I want you, whatever guitar ends up in your hand, that's the one you need to buy. And at the time, Boulder Creek didn't exist. And so what I ended up with, which I had no attraction to whatsoever, was a Taylor guitar. And the guitar was twice as much as I wanted to spend. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I started you know, tapping out on my fingers how many gigs it was going to take for me to pay <laughs> And I know that you know, if, if there's musicians out there, you've all done the same thing. And so you know, that's, that's what I ended up doing. And when I got that good guitar in my hand, I ended up playing probably four or five times more in a week or in a day than I had playing. Wow. Uh, what, I, what I currently was playing was a, an, uh, an applause by ovation. And the reason I had an applause by ovation was all my heroes had played ovations mm. growing up. And that's what I wanted, but I couldn't afford it. So I bought the applause. It was a $250 nice looking piece of junk. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it wasn't a piece of junk. It inspired me. I played, yeah. you know, and it fit fit the bill for what I could afford to do. Yeah. But it never could translate the music that I wanted to. And no matter what pedal or anything I wanted to invest in, it, I couldn't get there. So going back to, you know, your question about... Um, you know, getting uh, endorsements. As an artist, you need to have a great grasp on what it is you're trying to create musically. And when you approach a company, I have a lot of people that approach me. I have, you know, professionals like, you know, the, the story I told you about the Fleetwood Mac or Lee Bryce or any of those. Um, and they approach me and they talk to me about what they want to do. Um, and what they want to create. And then I have people that come to me saying, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I've got a tour and we're going to release an album and we're going here and playing all these shows and we're doing this fair tour and all this. And do you have an endorsement opportunity for me? And usually what either continues the conversation or kills the conversation is if the artist expects something for free. And that to me boils down to respect. And if you want to get respect from the guitar company so that they will sponsor you, you have to have respect for the guitar company. Mm-hmm. And we're all, we're all in business. Okay. And you go all the way down to each of us as musicians. We're out there gigging and playing. If a, if a, if a, potential location wants to hire you to play and they say, Hey, and we'll pay you 50 bucks for three hours. Is that respectful? No, it's not respectful. I don't care what you call it, but it's not respectful. If a guy says, you know what, you'll get a lot of exposure. (laughs) No, that's, that's not respectful either. And as musicians, I encourage you all to stand up and say, no, say no. I mean, I deal with that all the time here. You know, people want to hire you to pay for three hours and they want to pay you a hundred or 50 or maybe 200 bucks if you're lucky. And you got to say no. It's like hire a plumber for three hours. What's that going to cost you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I have this thing where I tell people, you know, would that, that exact example, would you tell a plumber, come on in and, and do the work that I need here at my house and I'll post all about it on Facebook? Or you call it, you know, a handyman and say, you're going to get great exposure from this because I'm in a lot of networking groups. And, you know, so I always say, well, what's the difference? These places that want to book musicians and say it'll be great exposure for you. So I'm, 
I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, but, but go ahead and, and because I, I, I was going to ask you about this anyways, because I'm always reminding listeners and even readers of my weekly blog that they have to remember that, you know, yes, just like the places they're trying to get booked to perform, companies are getting approached by performers just like them all the time. So they have to bring something to the table and show them why they're different and why they merit consideration. And as you said, there there has to be that that respect, it can't just be, you know, they come with their handouts. So so what do you see them do that's bad? And then what advice do you have for what they should be doing? I know you said respect, but just to, to kind of give some specific examples. I will give you some specific examples. Um, one of the things that I hear consistently from other companies that, that do, you know, sponsorships or endorsements is you know, there are some great examples of artists out there who consistently talk about the products they use and they consistently post and do the hashtags and, and they talk about their products and they, you know, it's like family, you know, it's like you know, wanting to show off a niece or a nephew or a grandkid or a baby or something like that. That's, that's your baby. And you need to promote it and you need to be willing to do it. I had a guy walk up to me one time in Nashville and he came up and you noticed him right away by the way he looked. He had a get up. He had a hook, a visual hook, I'll call it without being insulting. But um, he came up and he talked to me and talked about his experience and his experience sounded very reasonable. I mean, it was like, wow, you know, this guy really has some stuff going on. Never heard of the guy before. Never mm-hmm. seen the guy before. Mm-hmm. He was playing in town and I said, you know what, I'm here for the week. So I will come to one of your shows and I will see what you do. So he was playing at BB Kings and he was sitting in with Mm. somebody. I don't know who it was at the time. I think it was another company's artist show that they had put together. And this guy was a multi-instrumentalist. He was a drummer and a guitar player and a singer and stuff. And so I got there. And let's just say his little visual hook, his little getup was loud, um, <laughs> maybe maybe excessive, um, and not in the best taste, but that's, that's my own personal preference. But when I got there to the show, I was watching, and they were rotating artists in, and the artists would perform, and some of the backup artists, guitar players, bass players, backup vocalists, drummers, were sitting in and rotating with these artists. And he got up there on drums, and you would have thought you were watching Rush. Mm. Now, Rush was not in the house, and the artist was not doing rock. It was country music. It was singer, songwriter, storyteller type song. This guy was completely out of context on the drums, trying to show off and impress people with his skills. He had skills. He didn't have the right taste. He didn't have the right discernment as a musician. Then he got on vocals and singing up, singing backup vocals with this lady who had an incredible voice, he started to overshow her mm. and started to oversing her. So when he came back to the show and started talking to me, he goes, you know, I get so many endorsement opportunities. I would need another house to house all the product that oh everybody wants to give me. And he goes, he goes, you know, really, he goes, that black guitar that you guys have would look great. And, and I would give it so much exposure. I, you guys would almost need to pay me. Hmm. And I said, oh, I said, interesting. I said, you know, I said our artist deal and I gave him the price. I go, this is our artist deal. And if you've done any research on our company, you've seen our artist roster and I don't treat anybody any different, whether you're a big name like so-and-so or somebody like yourself, who's a regional guy who most people don't know. And that was my little, you know, (laughs) reset for him, for him to understand that he's not as big as he thinks he is. (laughs) He kind of got upset with me and he goes, you don't understand. And I said, no, I said, you know, I think I do understand. (laughs) And I said, if you can explain to me, well, why uh, Fleetwood Mac bought eight guitars for me because they want to support a small independent business who's developing product that helps them do what they do at the highest level that they do it. Mm. And they're willing to support me as I support them and you don't want to do that if you can explain that to me in a way I can understand and agree with maybe we have a deal if not I wish you luck wow. and 
he went on his way. And I said, if there's, you know, there's still a lot of places here, you could probably go get something free from somebody else. And you know, every time I saw that guy after that, he would avoid my booth, which, <laughs> you know, I think he was probably a little bit embarrassed, yeah. but he's, he's, he's an excessive example of somebody who just wanted something for free. Yep. And so my, my encouragement to you all is, you know, know your product be able to discuss your product and think before you call and make that email or whatever it is asking for endorsements and say, you know what, it's important to me to sound the best that I can do in, 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 in everything that I play in, in all the shows that I do. But it's also important that I have a partnership that is, is almost like a family where I can promote and do things. And I would love to mm. learn more about your company like and, it. and what, you would like me to do in order to promote it the right way. I like that. And you do that, it's a two-way street. Yeah. You scratch my back, I scratch your back kind of thing. Well, but tell me tell me this though. I you know, I do want to give you a chance in a minute to tell the listeners about Boulder Creek guitars and what makes them unique, but but while we're on the subject of musicians who try to approach you to get an endorsement, pardon my ignorance, but should they already be playing a Boulder Creek guitar if they're going to ask you for an endorsement? You know, in other words, is it going to be an immediate no if you look at their social media and you see pictures of them playing a guitar from one of the other companies out there? No, not necessarily. Um, I don't, I'm not jealous of any other company out there. Um, you know, I, like I did, like, you know, I kind of gave you that example of that guy that I heard that was singing and his guitar was coming apart when he was, the guitar was trying to keep up with his vocal ability. Um, you know, everybody does that. I, you know, I ended up playing Taylor guitars, um, because that's the, the sound I needed at the time I needed to go there. There are people that will buy a certain brand of guitar because it's cool and it's a, it's a historical name. And, you know, uh, an artist sometimes will feel like, okay, if I have that guitar, if I have that label hanging over my shoulder, people are going to take me more seriously because this is, you know, this mm-hmm. is an iconic instrument similar to the way I viewed, you know, the ovation guitar yeah. because Campbell and Jim Croce and Simon and Garfunkel and all the guys that I grew up listening to were playing that. So that's a natural progression as an artist. You know, you're going to learn songs. You're going to play, you're going to develop your talent. You're going to fine tune it and you're going to play other people's stuff and you're going to write some of your own stuff or you're going to start off writing your own stuff, but you have to develop your own niche, your own sound. And so as you're developing that, you've got to find out what instrument is going to do that. And if you all go back into your minds and you've probably all seen this at some point, but you go back to whether it's, um, uh, American Idol or any of the music shows, there's been some really quirky, very talented people on those shows that have gone up there with instruments that look like they were taken out of a Target store or a Walmart <laughs> store, you know, that have all of this character. That's part of their shtick. It doesn't need to sound good for what they're doing, you know, but if, if, if you've got, you know, a big, huge voice or some kind of a sound or you're a solo instrumentalist and you need a guitar that's going to fill a room and not sound brittle and thin, you need to find out what instrument's going to do that for you. Well, and that's, and that's a perfect segue because the listeners have heard me talk for the last couple months about how Boulder Creek Guitars has the suspended bracing system. So go ahead and explain that you know, what, what it is. I, I encourage the listeners all the time to go and watch the videos, but since I have you, you're the perfect person to, to tell them what it is, but also why it makes Boulder Creek different from the other guitar companies out there. Well, what we did, and I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll answer that question as a part of a, a thought process that even started the company. Um, you know, we, we, there was three of us that had gotten together, um, you know, the, the original, owner of the company that, that financed the start of Boulder Creeks, his golfing buddy, who had in his hip pocket for 15 years an idea for a suspended bracing system. And then they, you know, I came into the picture long after maybe some of the conversations had started because of my musical background and business development. But the thought originated with the fact that the top of a guitar is what makes the sound the wood that it's like a drum head. And if you picture a snare drum, you don't cut a hole in the center of a snare drum to make the sound come out of it. 
And I say that because I'm a drummer. That's my first instrument. And that kind of a visual, you can't argue with it. Yeah. You're not going to cut a hole right in the center of a snare drum to make the sound come out. You're Absolutely. just not going to do it. And so why would you do that to a guitar? The guitar is the same concept. The strings vibrate. The wood creates the tone. And so guitar makers forever have created a guitar, an instrument that has the prime real estate under the strings with a big old hole cut in it. Mm. And then there's 180 to 185 or 189 pounds of pressure with a six string guitar trying to cave the top in. And that's the waist of the guitar where the hole is. That's the narrowest portion. It's going to be the weakest portion because you got a big old hole in there. So then they glue 11 to 15 pieces of wood on the underside of the top to keep the top from caving in from the string pressure. And that's, I mean, that's what they do. And so over the time, you know, since, you know, the guitar was developed, people have tried scallop bracing and this type of bracing. And, you know, there's been guitars that have had fiberglass bracing and just different, different bracing systems to try and improve everything with that concept without eliminating the problem, which was the sound hole. Mm-hmm. So the original designer, Mike Shellhammer, came up with an idea and he goes, you know, and he's not a rocket scientist, but he's <laughs> just kind of a visionary guy. He goes, if if you were to create some kind of a suspended bracing system that would support that pressure on the top and you were use some kind of a product or some kind of a material that could transmit the strings vibrations throughout the instrument, but it was not touching the top and you move the sound hole and you left the top intact, it should sound better. That was it. Hmm. We didn't get any computers and uh, sensory organ thingy. You know, <laughs> none of us were that. None of us were that. And, and so we just started tinkering and having guitars built. And I'll tell you a story. I mean, literally nobody believed in what we were doing. Nobody. Hmm. And, and, and Mike had a 30 or probably 40 year relationship in the music industry where he worked for ovation guitars and he worked for Takamini and he worked for all the big brands and sales and business development stuff. He knew the factories. So he put his idea together. We we got this thing going, we're going to do it. He goes to his factory people that he's known forever. He goes to one of the most respected factories of builders of names that you all know and love and probably own guitars from. (laughs) And says, this is what I want to do. And they go, um, no, nah, that's no, nah, we don't want to do that. That's not going to work. So let us just, you know, build a guitar like this, like everybody else's and put your headstock on it and call it a day. And he said, no. And um, he said, I want to do this suspended bracing system. And they said, OK, well, let us kind of add our part to it. We'll make it work and then we'll send you some samples. Literally, the first samples we got, the factory glued two one-by strips of whatever wood they use parallel inside the guitar, glued to the top with all the other X bracing. The guitar would have been good for a parking block for an (laughs) RV. It did not sound good. It didn't even make noise. And it was so insulting that they did this that Mike got so upset. He threw across the the warehouse. We had a 14,000 square square foot warehouse. You would have thought he was an Olympian doing the distance. (laughs) He chucked that guitar and let out a bunch of words. And I mean, busted it up, boxed it up and sent it back to him and said, you know what? Do what I say or forget it. And I literally have the second guitar because they sent two. I put one in a box right away because I go, you know, historically, I want to keep this because I want people to know no one believed in us. Mm. Not even the people who build guitars. But once they did it, it was what I call, you know, it it was we call it the Boulder Creek moment. And and, you know, people just kind of go, oh, whoa. You know, anybody, anybody that wants to poo-poo the idea and go, that's not going to work, or they look at it with their eyes and go, that guitar's not going to make any sound, you're not going to be able to hear it, you know what, that's possible, hey, you play it, you tell me, and their eyes open up and their mouth drops and they're like, oh, 
oh my gosh, you know, so that's what happened. And then we just refined the idea. So, you know, there was some trial and error in trying to get the right bracing. You know, we ended up using aluminum bracing. Um, You know, there was the challenge of gluing it to the top. We used Delrin plastic, um, which is like the uh, Tortex picks that you get from Dunlop or something like that, that flexible, strong plastic. Um, And, you know, what the amazing thing is, is that, you know, when I'm at like a NAM show or something else and I'm explaining these guitars and the whole concept of what the bracing does, I can hold the guitar like a pizza box. You know, when you get a pizza and, you know, get the delivery and the guy yeah. hands it to you and you get your hands out in front of your chest and you got the nice warm pizza so you can, up by your face so you can yeah. smell it kind of a thing. Well, what I do is I'll hold the guitar on its back like that while I'm talking and I'm explaining the whole thing and I'll hold it so they can see in the side sound hole and look at the bracing. And I said, just show you what this guitar does compared to any other guitar. I said, touch the guitar with your fingers lightly. And so they put their fingers on the guitar. I said, can you feel every single word that I'm saying? Like Mm. I'm playing the instrument and striking it, playing a note and their eyes just open up. Wow. And I grab another guitar that's not one of ours. And I'll say, now I'm doing the same thing. Can you feel it? And they're like, no. Wow. And that that's how sensitive these guitars are. So going back to the drum head thing, if any of you are multi-instrumentalists and your drummers, you know very well that if you strike a snare drum and you hit it with, with your right hand with one stick, and if you were to take your left hand and take your five fingers, put your hand in the shape of a spider or something, and set it on the drum and hit the drum, what's going to happen? It's going to completely muffle the tone. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get any tone out of the drum at all. Same thing on one of the toms. That's just five fingers. There's 11 to 14 pieces of wood glued on standard guitars. What do you think that does to the top? Mm. If you can, if you can kind of absorb that concept in your mind, then you can understand. You know what? I, I yeah, it total, it makes total sense. I, I, I get this. I can see it. Yeah, it's almost like visual. tasting something in a magazine when you see a good picture of food. <laughs> you know, that's a good does that visual. Help? Does that give you a good? Uh, yeah, uh, a very much so. Yeah, and listeners, like I said, check out the videos online also, but but Jeff has done a, a great job of painting a good picture here. And since Jeff and I are talking gear right now, this would be a good time to tell you to go check out the new digital multi-track recorder from Tascam. If you haven't already, I mentioned it on last week's episode, and the fact that it just came out yet is already getting terrific reviews. It's great for both studio and live applications. It's the Tascam Model 24 because it's a 24-channel multi-track recorder with an integrated USB audio interface and analog mixer. Check it out, as well as loads of other recording solutions at Tascam.com. If you're doing recording and production, you definitely want to check out their full line of gear, T-A-S-C-A-M.com. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is understand that when you make a list on Twitter, the accounts that you add to it get notified of such. The Twitter account for this show has twice recently been added to a list where the name of the list screamed, yeah, I'm going to delete, meaning unfollow you, if you don't follow me back. If you listen to the show regularly and or read my weekly blog, you know how against follow unfollow I am, but for Pete's sake, don't broadcast that you do it by titling your Twitter list as such. Be aware that notifications will go to people you put on a Twitter list and thus, think twice about the way you title it. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. That's really great to know, isn't it? Very helpful, right? Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes, and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. 
Jeff, you just mentioned the NAM show. You had exhibited at that for a number of years. I touched on this a little bit four weeks ago in episode 237 when my guests were Rick and Nancy Monzipapa, who are sales trainers. And on that episode, they were giving advice for up-and-comers who are looking to get sponsors and endorsements. When you would exhibit at NAM, those conversations that you would have with musicians who would approach your display, were those necessary evils, You know, meaning you were really there more to get in front of dealers and do B2B, or were those conversations with the musicians good? You know, did, did some of them walk up without having their hand out? You know, um, that's a yes and no uh, comment. I've had people come up and talk to me, and I think if I can give you right off the bat um, a bit of advice on how to handle the NAM show. The NAM show is just a massive, crazy, nonstop week. And so when you come up as an artist, be very cognizant of you know, the, the company, if they have to do business or if they're in a business meeting, because sometimes artists can come up and if we're talking to artists all the time, um, we may miss something that could be huge for our business. Mm. So be, be sensitive to that um, and, and be prepared, you know, come in and play the guitars, get to know the instruments and then talk to them and say, you know, might I be able to set up a time with you either here at the show, if it's possible or after the show where we could talk about your artist program and the possibility of an endorsement. I'd like to share what I do with you to see if you might be interested. And then I would love to learn more about your products and your artist program to see if it's a good fit. That's great advice. Yeah. If you approach it that way, you're not coming in asking for something because believe me at NAM shows, everybody comes, everybody wants a, a deal. Everybody wants to get noticed. Everybody wants to get seen. So, that is not your best place in in my view as a company owner to stand out now there are people who will come up and play or do something that just blows your mind and if you're walking <laughs> around them and you've been there you've seen those type of people and you may be one um, but you know it's it's like i always say it's like you know I, I wouldn't go to nashville and do what i do in this part of the world because nobody would notice me mm. you know i mean there's so much talent in nashville that I would just be part of the drone, you know, in, in, and I don't know that I would stand out for doing what yeah, I do. Yeah. But I, but I love the advice about be considerate of the fact that the exhibitors are there to do business. Meaning, as right. you said, they could, they could be in the middle of talking to someone else that they were kind of to say, excuse me for just a second. And all of a sudden you're going to pull them away from something potentially huge. You talked before about Boulder Creek's suspended bracing system. We talked a little bit about the artist roster. By the way, listeners, you can check this all out at bouldercreekguitars.com, B-O-U-L-D-E-R, bouldercreekguitars.com. But Jeff, I also mentioned earlier that your company does basses and ukuleles too. Is there anything else that you want to add about Boulder Creek musical instruments before we flip over to talking about Jeff Stramitz, the performer? Um, I would, yeah, I guess what I would say is, is that, you know, to know what the philosophy of our company was, is, you know, we wanted to develop a product that produced the, the best possible sound for the best possible price. When I was going, you know, going back to my, my uh, example of getting that tailored guitar, I didn't have that kind of money. I, but you know what, if I was going to play and improve as a musician, I needed to go there sound wise. We couldn't, there was no other options at that time. You know, it was a 18, 15 to 18 to $2,000 proposition back in those days. Mm. Guitar companies have been able to develop nicer guitars at cheaper prices now. But what we've done is create a guitar that I like to call creates a $3,000 sound for a fraction of the price. So you're getting a $3,000 guitar for under a thousand bucks and you know what 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 that's what we wanted to do we never wanted to set out and and you know put any other guitar company down or whatever we're all doing the same thing we're keeping music going in the world and inspiring people to play we just wanted to make it affordable for people and do it a different way and so you know that's the main philosophy behind boulder creek is is that we're we're working playing musicians we're not suits we're not 
engineers. <laughs> we're not rocket scientists. <laughs> and we're a very, very small company that's trying to make its way in a very big and ruthless music industry. And, um, you know, everybody that plays our stuff, whether it's it's a regional, whether it's a uh, up and up and comer, um, you know, I mean, and going back to your artist thing, uh, we've got some big names on our rosters, but we've got names there that you would never even know. Yeah, I know I've got 13 year old young girls that are a little wow. protege, wow. you know, that, that we help sponsor because they've got the burn. They've got the, the fire in the eye. They've got the talent. They're dedicating their life to it. I can see that, yeah. you know, and getting an endorsement and having a big brother like me you know, to, to inspire them and keep them on track. And also to say, Hey, don't believe everybody that's going to say they're going to give you an, uh, a record deal. Interesting. You know, there's, that's a whole nother conversation, wow. but you know, um, I've seen a lot and I've seen people just, were just absolutely off the charts, incredibly talented that, um, you know, get taken advantage of. And so yeah. if you've been in the business a while, you know this. And, uh, but I mean, I just to say that if you're just starting out, don't be discouraged. Go out and ask, you know, but have your stuff together, you know, have a good package together to explain who you are. So we know you. And so we can get to know you because I do, I research everybody that, that, um, that contacts me. I'll go and I'll look at their stuff. I'll go online. I'll see if they've got anything together. But, you know, as an example of some, someone who doesn't, I've gotten emails. It sounds great on the email. I go to do research. I can't find anything on it. Mm. And so it's like, well, you know, you've got a dream. That's what you've got right now. You've got a dream and you need to do a little bit more work and then we can talk about it. And, you know, it's never unknown always, but, you know, if you have the passion and you're, you're doing the work and you're practicing and it's more than a dream for you, um, and it's a part of your being, then you should do well. Nicely said, nicely said, God bless you for having that attitude. Let's transition here, Jeff. I'm I'm interested in hearing how it is that you're someone who runs a guitar company when drums were your main instrument most of your life. You know, I was one of those guys that I mean, I I laughingly say now because I'm an older guy and nobody would tease me about it like I was when I was a kid. But I was a music band geek to the highest level, and you know, I I grew up. Um, you know, as a, as a, a farm kid, you know, we didn't have any money. Um, I literally started playing instruments and I had a burn for music. Neither of my parents were musicians, but as early as I can remember, and I used to literally save coffee cans and fill them up with water to different levels and play them with pencils sitting in front of, and sitting in front of an old hi-fi stereo, which, you know, we played the old records, the old vinyl records. And I would sit there for hours when I got my chores done, and I would play on these coffee cans. Oh my gosh! And I put, you know, put water to different levels because it made it made it sound like a drum. Wow! I started doing that. So then, you know, my dad found a, you know, my first drum set was a Tony the Tiger um, <laughs> drum set. Seriously, you know, one of those uh, Toys R Us specials. Um, you know, and I started playing that. I was probably five years old or something when I started playing a drum set. My older brother Joe was probably nine or ten and started guitar lessons. So we would we would kind of just play and goof around the house and. Then I got a, you know, I got a little toy guitar and I started playing guitar, but I was a kid that wanted to play every instrument I could get my hands on. Yeah, because you currently, listeners, check this out. Jeff plays guitar, drums, bass, banjo, and ukulele. So I have to imagine that a good chunk of that is self-taught, yes? All of it. All yeah, of it's self-taught. Surely someone can't take lessons in all of those. No, all of it's self-taught. Wow. I did take drum lessons for a while, but I mean, I, I, I'm all self-taught. And I actually um, picked up trumpet, trombone, <laughs> and other wind instruments as a kid because all my friends, you know, you get into band class when you're in fourth grade or whatever. And by sixth grade, kids are bored with it and they're getting into the sports and stuff. And so all these kids are like, I don't want my instrument anymore. I'll go buy I'll buy it from you. I was buying oh trumpets gosh. and trombones, and just <laughs> everything I could get my hands on. So... You know, I mean, there was nothing I didn't want to play. And, you know, I still have things on my list. Like, I, you know, I want to learn to play a fiddle one day and a flute and some, you know, just other things because I just think they're totally cool. 
But that's that's the passion that I had growing up. I wanted to get my hands on everything. So mm. um, I played drums pretty much was my main instrument, had a guitar and just messed around with it, but nothing real serious until my mid 20s. And I got married and moved out of the Bay Area and moved up to northern California, what I call severe northern California. Yeah. It was um <laughs> Mount Shasta City up above Redding, which if you're all watching the news, Redding has been on fire for the last two months. So it was up in those mountains up there. Mm. Um, but I didn't take my drums with me. Oh. I just took my guitar and I started songwriting and just spending time with the guitar and trying to master that instrument. And okay. lived up there about three and a half years, came back, started a band, uh, got a band going again, started doing the whole thing, playing drums and got tired of the drama that goes along with being in a band mm. and called my buddy one day after we had fired multiple bass players and multiple keyboard players and said, get your acoustic guitar and come over. And he goes, why? I go, I got an idea. Come over. So he came over. He really didn't even know that I played guitar um, to the level that I was playing it at the time. Huh. And we sat down that night and came up with over 200 songs and started a kind of a Simon and Garfunkel duo thing, just wow. acoustic guitar, doing classic rock. And so that's where my, my passion for guitar really started okay. at that point because okay. I got out in front, I got off the drums, started getting up front and singing and playing guitar and doing that. Okay. And then I, I had a music academy at a local church and I was teaching drums, guitar and vocals. And um, so I met the owner, the, the original owner, Randy, uh, of the company, uh, who was one of my guitar students who I talked about in the very beginning yeah, of this cast, yeah. um, you know, the ADD guy, um, he was one of my students. And so okay. that's how I got involved with Bold wow. Creek. Wow. And so that's, that's kind of the quick story of how I yeah. went from being a drummer very to cool. being a guitar player. Very cool. Listeners, I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line by singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Jeff Stramitz, who is also the president and CEO of Boulder Creek Guitars. On the performance side, you can check him out online at jeffandjulie.com, and that's Julie with no E at the end. On the contact page of their website, there's a link to their music page on Facebook. And then again, bouldercreekguitars.com is the company website Find links there for their Facebook, Twitter, and other platforms, and check out their artist roster, details on locating a dealer, and more. If instead of full-blown services, meaning management, promotion, and booking, you just need a private one-on-one -on -one consultation for questions about your performance career, challenges that you're having, I am now offering video consultation sessions that way we can chat face-to-face -face regardless of where you're located. Go to nowhearthis.biz, and that's H-E-A-R, nowhearthis.biz, and you will see the headline, Video Consultations Now Available. Click into that, and then go schedule a 15, 30, or 60-minute session with me. Jeff, I mentioned that you perform as a solo act in a duo or trio in a full band, but for the benefit of those listening who are up-and-coming performers, I always like to ask, how did you do that type questions? Because I know they wonder about opportunities that they hear about that my guests are getting. So I do realize that you offer venues and events the opportunity to book your time-in-a-bottle show that you do in tribute to Jim Croce. But how did you how did you get, as I mentioned back in the intro, to where Jim Croce's widow called you to perform that? You know, that was really interesting. Jim was always the highest. I, I don't know if I had to pick one artist that influenced me as a guitar player and as a singer songwriter it was Jim Croce, because oh. growing up like we all do, we all have challenges and whatever it was. But I found my peace and solace in music and in his lyrics. And there were funny songs like, you know, uh, you know, the bad, bad Leroy Brown or you know, some of that working at the car wash blues. And then there was some incredibly sad and deep songs that he wrote like time in a bottle. And so I gravitated towards that. And so, you know, it was just something that I've always wanted to do. And as a musician, I set goals, you know, like if I could ever play cats in the cradle, mm. what an amazing thing that would be. Cause that's one of my all time favorite songs or, um, um, the sound of silence. Um, you know, so personally, I set these goals as a player. And once I got there, then I could play, you know, I started going, well, I could play a lot of their books. So uh -huh. I just incorporated Jim Croce into what I did. I never billed myself as a Jim Croce artist. I still don't. Mm -hmm. um, but 
one day my phone rang and it was it was uh, Ingrid's manager, business manager, and he explained who he was and I just kind of sat there quietly and he goes, "Are you there?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> and, he, and, and he goes, "This is a prank phone call. I'm serious." And I'm like, "Well, how, how did you get a hold of me?" Yeah. And they said, "Well, we just started looking up, you know, people who do Jim Croce, and your name kept coming up." And I go, "But I don't." bill myself as, as doing that. And he goes, well, we did the research and, and we're calling you and mm. we want you to come clear down to San Diego and, and do this. Amazing. For, yeah. And so Amazing. that's kind of how it happened. Wow. Well, you mentioned to me offline that even though you do write original songs, the folks in your area want to hear songs they know, so you don't perform the originals. And, and since you're not alone in that, meaning it's not exclusive to just your part of the country, any words of encouragement for listeners who are singer-songwriters that fight the same battle, meaning they're taking gigs, playing cover songs, but they would really much rather people hear them doing their original stuff? Yeah, what I would do, and I've done this, um, is you know give people what they want to hear and, and do, you know, do the songs with respect to the way they would... I mean, be yourself and have your own touch on the song, but do it in respect with what they would recognize. Um, and, and, and then put in, you know, as you're doing your shows, say, you know what, this is, this is a song that really influenced my style. As I was growing up and learning, it's always been one of my favorites by this artist. And it's really influenced my style. And I'd like to introduce you to one of my own songs at this point that you may find is is similar in structure or in in context to to what's wow. going on here wow. and then people will segue and go wow i really like that and then they'll start asking for it and you can do that kind of visualize you know your favorite artist if if they go out and they're doing their full-blown show and i'm going to use the eagles as an example and when they bring the stools up to the front of the stage and they sit on the stools with the acoustic instruments and it almost makes you sit forward on your chair and and they draw you in and you can do that with your performance where you say yeah. you know a lot of this music i've loved and i've grown to love because it, it touches me in a way musically that inspires me and and because it inspires me this is how i've created my own music and i'd like to introduce you to some wow. of my songs and start putting chunks of your music into your sets if you do a three set show you know put two or three songs of yours in each set and then as they start to they'll start to ask for them and then that will grow and pretty soon you'll be doing your own I love it. all your I love music. it uh, that's that's great advice because I know that a lot of singer songwriters will say oh I just sneak some of my own stuff in or instead of the word sneak they'll say I slip in a couple originals now and then but all they do is they come out of a cover song and they go I'm going to do one of mine now this is one I wrote called and they just say the title and there's no connection so I love that segue that you've suggested because now it does make sense as opposed to wait what this is oh okay you know and and the audience is just kind of sitting there scratching their head and unfortunately, waiting for that song to finish. But yours is an entirely different thought process, both for the performer and for the audience. So I, I like that one. Drawing the audience in is so important. And I'm thinking of something right now that actually makes my hair stand up on my arms. If you've all seen Garth Brooks in concert, if you've had the pleasure of seeing him where he goes <laughs> to the end of his show, pulls up a stool and says, I want to introduce you to the people that got me doing what I do. And he goes through and does songs just him and his acoustic guitar. And one of the songs that when I saw him do it, that he ended with is a song that everybody knows, even if they're 10 years old and it's bye bye miss American pie. Hmm. And he does a version of that song that makes you want to do backflips in your chair. I mean, wow. and, and, Everybody relates to that song. Most people know what it's about. If they don't, they still argue about what it's about. But it's yeah. a part of the musical fabric of, of our lives. Yeah. And that was one of the songs that inspired him to do what he does. And who doesn't love that guy? I mean, it, it, you need to make that connection with the audience. You need to become real. And they need to feel you. And you need to feel them. So if you're not going there emotionally with your audience, you're never going to connect with them with your music. Yeah, that's good stuff. I like that. For for some reason, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but I feel like listeners might think, well, give me a break. This guy runs a guitar company. It's probably easy for him to get booked for gigs. But one really has nothing to do with the other. Am, am I right? Or, or am I missing something? And, and that does help you somehow. 
No, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that we were voted the best uh, Gilroy, best of uh, of Gilroy. That would came as such a shock to me because you know I'm in my mid fifties, and that's old compared to a lot of people. And a lot of people look at that as old. And I and I do older music. You know, I do classics from the sixties and seventies. So to me. My little voice in my head says, Jeff, you're doing old music. You're an old guy. Nobody wants to hear you anymore. Um, and all these young guys that are energetic and good looking and, and, you know, playing blazing guitars and melting the down their fretboards and doing all this stuff, you know, they're, they're going to get picked for stuff like that. I didn't even really know that there was a, con- a, a contest. Wow. But that's, you know walk into a place all the time. And I'll tell you something. It has nothing to do. Nobody knows that I'm a uh, a company owner when I walk in as a, as a musician, they don't know that they don't, people don't go online and go, oh, I met this guy named Jeff Stranitz. I'm going to Google him and see who he is. They don't. <laughs> You're lucky if you even get a phone call or a return email. So nobody knows. And so you have to present, and I don't present myself as a company owner. It has nothing to do with it because ultimately the people in the seats, they don't care. You yeah. know, if I was yeah. on tour, then it has some kind of a, a connotation to oh wow he does this and he does that but otherwise if if, if i'm up there and and i'm sucking you know nobody's gonna care they, yeah. they're like wow <laughs> you know why did why you know he ought to go back to building guitars and just get off the stage you know <laughs> uh, but i mean i have the same insecurities that you all do and i'm no different than anybody so you know my advice to you is do the best you can do you put the best product you can out there um, don't put yourself in a position to go out in public and suck. And that's, I mean, I'm going to put that right on you as a person. Don't do it. Don't go into a band or, or play in a band or sit into a group that's going to do that. Have a standard for yourself and have pride in yourself and what you do. And then when you talk to people, be prepared. Have enough respect for them that you come in, you're, you're dressed appropriately, you make good eye contact, you shake hands, you look them in the face, you ask for their time, you don't interrupt them, you say, hey, can we set some time aside? And really, because I respect that kind of thing as an owner. And what I don't respect is somebody that has, you know, they look completely unprepared, have no idea what they're doing, and they look like they're, you know, just disheveled in, in, in their whole approach. And it's like, okay, if I'm going to look at that, I'm going to think their show is going to be very much similar. Mm. So, you know, I don't get any free rides because of the company. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, people don't even put that together half the time. And so gotcha. unless they do research. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and listeners, I wanted to mention that also for the reason that when you do look at Jeff's performance website, this is someone that does get a lot of work. I, I do want you to understand that, yes, he's busy running the company, but he does perform quite a bit. There's even a link on the website where you can look and see past shows in addition to to what's coming up final question just for fun you've sort of touched on this a little bit here and there but you have been playing for a lot of years in the intro i mentioned that you opened for pablo cruz plus i believe you even did some work in nashville at one point if i'm correct when you're president slash ceo of a guitar company is it is it possible to say oh i'll always be a musician first and an executive second and that's what I am. I mean, I'm a musician first. And so, you know, I don't get, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten to sit down with Larry Gatlin and play with him. I've gotten to play with, you know, the guys from Pablo Cruz doing an acoustic show. I've gotten to play, you know, I, uh, we have a group that called the American classic hit makers, which are, you know, big names from, from the classic rock era. They get together and we do acoustic, you know, small, intimate, up close shows. It doesn't happen because you know, I'm um, I'm an owner of a guitar company. It's because I'm a musician. And you know, as an example, I I, I had um, David Jenkins and Jamie Kyle come and do a performance at one of my dealers for Boulder Creek as artists. And this was their give back to me. Mm. You know, I said, hey, you know, I've got something in your area. Can you do me a favor and come and do a little half hour show as I talk about the guitars? And then you can tell people what the guitars mean to you. They said, sure, I would love mm-hmm. to do that for you. So they came and I said, would you like some percussion behind you? And they go, well, what are you proposing? And I said, well, I'll sit down on a cajon and I'll just grab something from here and a shaker or two and I'll just I'll just back you up. And they go, they looked at me and they're going, okay, first thing in their head, you got to know what they're thinking, right? They go, you don't know what we're going to do and we've never done this. <laughs> and so um, they said, okay. So they sat down and we did it. And afterwards, they're both just staring at me and they go, is there something wrong? And they go, yeah, how come you're not playing with us? <laughs> and, you know, it felt good. That was one of those, I mean, to tell no you, doubt. I wasn't scared. 
that would be a lie. I was, but I also knew as a drummer that I have an innate ability to be extremely intuitive by watching body language and other things mm. that I've learned to do and play within the context of the music that I would not create problems. And that's how I got to be able to start playing with those guys. And so it had nothing to do with who I was as a company. They don't, they don't care. Um, you know, I mean, they do, but they don't, that, you know, just cause I'm an owner of a company, they're not going to go, Oh yeah, well we want yeah, him to sit yeah. with us. Cause if I'm, I'm like the guy in Nashville that I described to you, um, that would be in a train wreck. Yeah. And so, you know, as, as a musician, you may get that chance. You may be in Nashville sometime. You may be doing something and somebody may walk up to you and go, you know what? That's incredible. Would you like to play on my album or would you like to play on my tour? That happened to a guy in Boston who is a race car uh, graphic artist Mm. and he's a musician in Boston. He was playing. That's how I met Larry Gatlin through him. Larry saw him performing. Larry walked up to him, introduced himself. The guy fell off his stool. Uh, He said, I love that guitar. I love what you did. Tell me about you and tell me who to talk to about that guitar. And then he also started playing and doing albums and tours with people for the same thing. You know, Amazing. they walked up and said, you guys are great. I'd love to have you guys back me up on my tour. Amazing. So, wow. Yeah. All really good stuff, Jeff. Thanks so much. This has been really enjoyable and, and very educational. Listeners, I'm sure you agree. And I, I appreciate you giving me the time here today. Well, I, I've had a blast. And uh, I just encourage you all. Uh, to go out there and keep doing what you're doing. But like I said, you know, key key ingredient when approaching companies for sponsorships or or, or anything like that is just have, know your product and have it dialed in and be respectful. And you should have no problems. There you have it. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Jeff Stramitz, who, as you have heard, is also the president and CEO of Boulder Creek Guitars. Again, on the performing side, check out jeffandjulie.com. We will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And then also hit the contact page of that website to find the Facebook link so you can go like that page. And look as well at bouldercreekguitars.com, B-O-U-L-D-E-R, bouldercreekguitars.com. Find a dealer there and a whole lot more, including links for the company's Facebook and Twitter pages and other platforms. Again, I would love to help you with any questions and or challenges that you have in your performance career. What are you struggling with? How does your branding look? Let's have a private video chat. Talk about your biggest areas of need. Go to nowhearthis.biz. Again, H-E-A-R, nowhearthis.biz, and click into the headline that says Video Consultations Now Available and book a session with me. They are available in blocks of 15, 30, or 60 minutes. I look forward to seeing you online and helping you. Thank you ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. Entertainment.